Genesis chapter 11 and verse 1, let's read it together. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, let us uh, go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone and slime had they for mortar. And they said, go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach, reach unto heaven. Let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. Now remember, after the flood, God wanted them to be scattered abroad on the whole earth. That's what He wanted them to do, but they weren't doing that. Look at verse 5, And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to. Let us go down and there confound their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Isn't it interesting that one of the main things the world wants us to do is understand each other? It's interesting, isn't it? God didn't want them to understand each other. Verse 8, So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore, the name of it is called, therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. All right, thank you. You can be seated. As you sit, turn in your Bibles to Psalms 11, the 11th Psalm. Look at verse 1. The Bible says, In the Lord put I my trust. How say ye to my soul, flee as a bird to your mountain? For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, and they, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. Boy, is that the way that you feel in the world today? Look at that verse 2 again. For lo, the wicked bend their bow, they make ready their arrow upon the string, that they may privately shoot at the upright in heart. How many of you recognize that the wicked hate the upright in heart? You ought to go online and Google uh, abortion protesters, pro-life people on college campuses. You look at what happens if someone puts a pro-life booth up on a college campus. Watch the hatred that comes out. They're not against anybody. They're for babies. But what that does is it insults the people that want to kill the babies. And so the wicked, the wicked, they want to shoot their arrows at the upright in heart. But look at verse 3. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the righteous or if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? There's a building over at Ohio State. I wish I could remember the name of it. But it's the Center for Art and Culture. It was built a few years ago. And it, it was touted as the first postmodern building in the world. I know. What in the world does that mean? We know what postmodern culture is. We looked at it last week, that there are no absolutes. Basically, the, the, the heartbeat behind postmodernism and postmodern culture is that there's no purpose in life. 
We're not here for any reason. We're just the result of biological processes. And at the end of our lives, we just cease to be. There is ultimately no purpose for us or for the world. There's no purpose. So this building has no purpose. When you go in the building, there are stairs to nowhere. There are rooms that can't be used. It is a postmodern building. But I wonder if the foundation, I wonder if the foundation of that building had a purpose. I wonder if the state and the inspectors would allow them to build a foundation without a purpose. I don't think they would. Why? Because if the foundation isn't right, then the whole building will fall. Have you ever noticed that when a hurricane hits the United States, we lose property? How many of you have noticed that? Rarely do we lose lives. Why? Now, Hurricane Katrina is another story, and it is actually the exception that proves the point. Why? Because we have a society that's built on a solid foundation. Our houses don't get blown away. Why? Because they're built the right way. If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? The Lord is in His holy temple. The Lord's throne is in heaven. His eyes behold... His eyelids try the children of men. The Lord trieth the righteous, but the wicked and him that loveth violence his soul hateth. Isn't that interesting? It's an interesting verse, isn't it? Verse 6, Upon the wicked he shall rain snares, fire and brimstone, and an horrible tempest. This shall be the portion of their cup. For the righteous Lord loveth righteousness. His countenance doth behold the upright. So here is our message today. We're looking at this theme. What in the world is going on? Verse six, God knew while all the people were together. He said, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. We're going to look this morning at destroying foundations. The Bible says, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? God established from the beginning, three institutions. And when you look at this, it is the home. So God created Adam, and he brought to him his wife Eve. And he said to them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. He was the husband. She was the wife. When God, the, the son in the New Testament, gives his definition of marriage, he said that the, the, they shall leave father and mother, and the two of them shall become one flesh. And who did he refer to? Adam and Eve, a man and a woman, that they would be joined together and be one flesh forever. That is God's plan for the home. Amen? That is God's plan for the home. Uh, let me just put this out as we begin. For this whole series, and I should have said this uh, at the beginning of the series, we are not approaching these subjects through the world's perspective. We're approaching this subject and these subjects through a biblical perspective. We are going to take off the world's glasses and put on biblical glasses and try to understand what's going on in the world through the lens and through the interpretation that the Bible gives. We're not going to interpret the Bible through world events. We're going to interpret world events through the Bible. The Bible is our sole authority. 
The Bible is our foundation. That's what we are built upon. The Bible says that the church is built upon the foundation, the foundation of the apostles' doctrine. We have apostolic doctrine from the Word of God, and that's the basis for everything that we do. So as I say this, that the Bible that Jesus Christ established what the home should look like. One man, one woman for life. How many of you recognize that that is God's plan? Would you raise your hands? I also recognize that there are situations where homes fail. There are situations where marriages fail. It is very interesting that God knew that that was going to happen. How many of you are shocked by that? God knew that that was going to happen. And so God has given liberty for people to get outside of a marriage that is not honoring God's plan. The Bible does give that allowance. Jesus said, if a man puts away his wife, save for the cause of fornication, he causes her to sin. So there are two things that can end, biblically end a marriage, death and a violation of the physical relationship can end a marriage. Now, it doesn't have to end a marriage. Death does. <laughs> but an inappropriate physical relationship doesn't have to end a marriage, and God can heal those things. Isn't that a blessing that God can heal those things? And yet, if someone has been through one of those situations, or they've been deserted for the Lord's sake, so... Imagine you have a man and a woman and the woman is saved and the husband deserts her because she wants to follow the Lord. Well, that woman is free to remarry according to the Word of God and vice versa for the man. The Bible gives those allowances. Now, I want to say this. There are Christians that are very uncomfortable with preachers identifying those exceptions. Well, look, all we can do is tell you what the Bible says. Amen? Now, God would rather the unbelieving spouse get saved and those people live together in peace. The Bible gives very specific instructions about a saved wife living with an unsaved husband and what her behavior should be. The Bible's very clear on that. It's very clear. We're not, we're not studying that this morning, but the Bible gives instruction for all of that. God has ordained foundations. God has established definitions for the home and then for human government and then for the church. God's three institutions, the home, human government, and the church. This globalistic world system wants to destroy the foundation of the home, destroy the foundation of human government, and destroy the foundation of the church. And we're going to try and look at some of that this morning. So what we're going to do first is we're going to get some definitions. The first definition is the definition of a church. There are a lot of people that come up with ideas on what a church is. And people will say the church should do this. The church should do this. And almost never is that requirement found in Scripture. So what we've done is we've gone through the Scriptures and we've looked at how the Bible describes a New Testament church. And it is a called-out assembly, that's what the word church means, a called-out assembly of born-again, baptized believers meeting voluntarily in a specific location for the purpose of fellowship and support, observing and defending the ordinances, carrying out the Great Commission, 
and doing all things whatsoever the Lord commanded. That's what a church is. That is the biblical definition of a church. So what happens this past week in uh, Salt Lake City, interesting place for it, they held the World Parliament of Religions. The World Parliament of Religions. If I had known it was going on, I would have gone. There were about 10,000 people there, and the main theme was oneness under our goddess, Mother Earth. I could have learned a lot in that meeting. And it's the, the goddess Gaia. And so since all of us are of the earth, that is that we came from the earth, that we all have to come together and worship God however we identify God or goddess and come together as one. Now, is that a definition of any kind? Is that Not at all. How many of you want your doctor to practice medicine however he sees fit? You know, I have an idea of the best way to deliver this baby. How many of you ladies are interested in my opinion on how your baby should be delivered? If you have any sense, you want me as far away from that situation as possible. It's very interesting how uh, these ideas for eternity are put in the area of the subjective. But the idea, you don't want somebody who doesn't believe in norms to build your building. It's very interesting the way all of this works. So this Parliament of World Religions was just held, and uh, all of these different religions came together, but there's no foundation. The foundation for that is whatever I want it to be, which means there is none. There were 10,000 people there. There were 10,000 different foundations because every man's doing that which is right in his own eyes. The Bible describes for us what a church is. I'm not allowed to define the church. Jesus Christ has done that, and we'll look at some of that in a minute. Capitalism. Capitalism. So we're looking at the foundation for human government. Capitalism. Capitalism is an economic system in which investment in and ownership of the means of production, distribution, and exchange of wealth is made and maintained chiefly by private individuals or corporations, especially as contrasted to cooperatively or state-owned means of wealth. Here's the idea. All the world belongs to God. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So how many of you recognize that the world belongs to God? Right? So there's a debate in the Holy Land about who owns the land. The Palestinians or the Jews? Neither. God owns it. God owns it, and He has given it to the Jews. So the Bible says, all right, so who owns the land? God does. It's His land, and He has given the people rules for being in that land, and it was given to His people, the Jews. That's, that's the Now, again, if you're here and you're not used to who we are, that's the biblical view of that. There are geopolitical influences on many people's thinking. I'm not saying that everything Israel does as a nation is right. As a matter of fact, much of what they do is wrong. But the simple fact is, it's their land. God gave it to them. And here, some of, some people might think, well, that's 2,000 years ago. No, he said that's a perpetual covenant. It's, it's, it's theirs. And Jesus Christ is going to come back and sit on the throne of David in Jerusalem. He means it. He means it. It's very important that we get this. So, But the foundation of our governmental system is this, private property. Right? Every man is endowed by, endowed by his creator with certain unalienable rights. And among these 
Our life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What is the basis for that? To be able to live in your land freely. The basis for our system of government, remember, our governmental system and our economic system cannot be separated. Our governmental system is based on private property rights. Taxation without representation was the problem. Is that right? The basis for our government is private property rights. That is, that I can do with what is mine, whatever I choose to do. As long as it doesn't hurt someone else. We'll see that in a minute. Socialism is a theory or system of social organization. Now, social organization. In our day, that's seen as a good thing. All right? Socialism. Socialism. It is a system of social organization that advocates the vesting of the ownership and control of the means and production and distribution of capital, land, etc., in the community as a whole. Can I tell you something? No one believes this. No one believes this. Go to Washington or go to Bernie Sanders' house and see if he has an alarm. I wonder if Bernie Sanders has locks on his doors. How many of you think Bernie Sanders has locks on his doors? Now, he's such a kook, he might not. <laughs> it's very interesting. Go and take his car. What do you think he's going to do? He's going to call the police. Why? Because it's his car. No, 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 wait a minute. I thought we all own it. Don't you wish that, that just simple speech like this would take place in some of our presidential debates? Who owns it? Who owns it? If you believe we all own it, you're a socialist. If you believe that we all own our private property, then you're a capitalist. That's capital. That's, that's the basis of it, is that you have something with which to trade. Or you have an ability or a talent that someone else needs, and so you either trade something for that. So if I know how to make an axe and you know how to, and Patrick knows how to make a wheel, I'll make an axe for him and he'll make a wheel for me. And we've both benefited from that. If I don't need the wheel, but he needs the axe, then he will, we, we have developed a form of currency so that we determine that axe is worth something to him. What we agree that axe is worth is fair. Right? How much is an axe worth? whatever someone is willing to pay for it. If you want to get the price lower, have more people making axes. Supply and demand. So now if I want somebody to buy my axe instead of someone else's, I've got two options. Make it cheaper or make it better. Is that right? And so things get better. You have a better quality of life. Why do we have so many different kinds of cars? Remember in the... Uh, Soviet Union, they had one. It was the Zill, and it was a piece of garbage. It was horrible. Man, we could, and do you know what happens to a car company in the United States that doesn't make good cars? Do you know what happens to it? The government actually bails it out. <laughs> What's supposed to happen is that car company is supposed to either make a better vehicle or go out of business. That's what's supposed to happen. What, what provides that competition? Competition. That's capitalism. That's the basis for our government. 
It's private property. Here's what Karl Marx said. My object in life is to dethrone God and destroy capitalism. Because who's the ultimate capitalist? God, He owns everything. Is that interesting? How many think that's an interesting concept? See, you can't divorce this conversation from theology. You can't do it because our understanding of everything comes from God because He's our Creator. He's the lawgiver. Then, he said, here's what Ron Paul said. You don't have a right to something from government. Government has nothing. Whatever they give, they must take from someone else. Government doesn't own anything. Or let me say this, they're not supposed to. All these lands that the government has taken over to preserve for parks and all of that, go and try and have a farm out west. Government owns the land. Now, what they'll say is, well, you own that. Yeah, go try and use it. See what happens. It's very interesting. Go try and hunt on government land. Go try to do that. Go try to build a campfire on government land without permission. Who are you getting permission from? I ought to be able to ask, you know, Dan. Hey, Dan, can I go build a fire out there? It's yours, right? No, no, it belongs to the government. Who is the government? Isn't it supposed to be we the people? Do you see what happens when you bring actual definitions and common sense into the conversation? Things are turned upside down. So here's what Francis Whalen, the old Baptist preacher, said. He wrote this book, Elements of Political Economy. It was the first economics textbook written in America. It was used in all the major universities, and he was the, one of the early presidents of Brown University. He said, It is evident that government possesses nothing. All that it possesses is precisely so much taken from the annual revenue of individuals. Now, remember, this word individual is taboo now. Now it's the collective. What is good for everyone? Greater good theory. All right? In this case, therefore, it really bestows nothing, government. It bestows nothing, but only causes a transfer of annual revenues from one party to another. That's a transfer of wealth. That's what Karl Marx wanted. So if you want to destroy America, destroy private property. If you want us to lose national sovereignty, destroy private property. Why don't they defend our borders? They don't believe in private property. Everyone ought to have access to our government or to our country. Why? Because it belongs, we're all citizens of the world. Why should we have borders? Wayland also said this, In order that every man may enjoy in the greatest degree the advantages of his labor, it is necessary, provided always he does not violate the rights of his neighbor, first, that he can be allowed to gain all that he can. Isn't that interesting? The Baptist preacher is writing that a person ought to be able to gain all that he can. That's uncomfortable in modern Christianity. If someone is wealthy, they must have taken it from somebody else. Because you understand that, that all the wealth in the world is a pie. It's a limited supply. And so if you have something, you must have taken it from someone else. That's the teaching of socialism. That's the teaching of socialism, and it's completely inaccurate. All right? So first that he be allowed to gain all that he can, and second, that having gained all that he can, he be allowed to use it as he will. If I want to plant crops on my property, it's no one else's business. If I want to build a building on my property, it's no one else's business. 
But what about the person who buys it next? Let the buyer beware. Is that right? Very simple. It's hard to imagine, you know, the water. How many have heard there's a drought in California? There's a drought in California. That's because they divert 40% of their water into the ocean so it doesn't go across snail darter land. Really interesting. Private property. All right. So, second, and that having gained all that he can, he'd be allowed to use it as he will. It is necessary that every man be allowed to gain all that he can, that is, that the arrangements of society be so construed that every man be able to render his labor in the highest degree available to himself. See the difference between making everyone equal? You can't make everybody equal. Some of you are better at making money than I am. So do you know what the result of that will be? You'll make more money than I do. Well, that's not fair. Well, I ought to be 6'4". It's reality. Do you see? What happens is socialism, it removes reality. And here's the problem. There is no possible way to make me as capable at making money as some of you are. I don't have that ability. So how do we become equal then? You would have to bring the moneymaker down to me. That's possible. That's possible. Moving me up to him is not possible. What we have to do is to establish a society and govern a society in such a way that every person is able to reach their highest standard of ability and production. Do you know what that will cause? That will cause greater success for everyone. All right. Then... What is a technocracy? A technocracy. We've looked at social capitalism and socialism. What is technocracy? It's a theory and movement prominent about 1932. Now, that's a, that's, this is definition right out of the dictionary. It, it's still going on. I'll explain how that goes in a minute. Advocating control of industrial resources, reform of financial institutions, and reorganization of the social system based on the findings of technologists and engineers. Any engineers in here? You guys are in charge. Right? So the idea is, think of, think of it this way. It's ruled by experts. So surely there is someone who can design a society, a societal engineer that can help us to have better homes. And so then you have to have a commission on homes. Surely... There are a group of people that can tell us better how to teach our children. And so you have to have a Department of Education. Surely there are a group of experts who can tell us better how to work. And so you have to have a Department of Labor. Have you ever wondered why there's only one Department of Monopolies? Interesting. This is from a book by... Patrick Wood called technocracy. He says, technocracy is the science of social engineering, the scientific operation of the entire social mechanism to produce and distribute goods and services to the entire population. Now, the difference between technocracy and socialism, and this is where you'll see that it's in, in effect today. There, the, the one world government will either be socialism or technocracy. Socialism Everyone owns the means of production equally. Technocracy, all right? So 
let me say this, capitalism and socialism are both price-based economies. All right, so if the society, if we all own everything, you still sell a product based on how much it costs to produce it. All right, in capitalism, you end up doing better because the private sector can produce things less expensively than the government can. How many of you know that, right? But they're price-based. Technocracy is energy-based. And so the idea is that the person who controls the energy can determine the prices. And so now it's not the price of the labor or the price of the materials. It's the price of the energy that it takes to produce it. And if you have a certain group of people that control all of the energy in the world, the new smart grid, they want to put a gauge in your house and tax you based on how much energy you use. They want to put a, a gauge or a measuring device in your car and tax you for the amount of driving you do and make you pay more for the highways. Well, wait a minute. They already have that in the gas tax. But they took that money and used it on something else, so now they're gonna, they have to be able to control us by the means of energy. A technocracy. Did anyone here ever read A Brave New World? That's a technocracy where you have a group of engineers who, based on their ability, they determine how everyone else should live. Then, here's what John Maynard Keynes said. There is no subtler, no surer means of overturning the existing basis of society than to debauch the currency. The process engages all the hidden forces of economic law on the side of destruction. And it does it in a manner in which not one man in a million is able to diagnose. That's the man who's the father of the economic system in our government today. So now you have the Federal Reserve. The Federal Reserve is loaning money to banks at zero interest. And this money is being flooded into the stock market. You have all of this currency out there. That's why a loaf of bread, a loaf of bread, if a loaf of bread is $2, if 80 years ago that loaf of bread was a nickel, the bread is not worth more. Your money is worth less. And so the way that they're trying to destroy the United States of America is to undermine its currency. You see, we are, the, we are the economic engine that drives the world. We are. But if you're going to head to a one-world government, you must destroy the currency. So what do you have to destroy if you're going to have a one-world government? You must destroy the churches because churches will always stay separate. You must destroy the government, the governmental system of capitalism, private property and ownership, individual liberty has to go away. And you must destroy the home. Because the government can go bad. The educational system can go bad. The economic system can go bad. And a nation can still be pure if the homes are right. So you must destroy the home. Here's the definition of marriage. This is from Webster's 1828 Dictionary. The act of uniting a man and woman for life. It's interesting, isn't it? You see, the court decision that just took place in the in the Supreme Court, it did not redefine marriage. It undefined marriage. Now marriage is whatever you want it to be. But here's what Webster said. The act of uniting a man and a woman for life. Wedlock. 
the legal union of a man and woman for life. Marriage is a contract, both civil and religious, by which the parties engage to live together in mutual affection and fidelity till death shall separate them. Marriage was instituted by God Himself for the purpose of preventing the promiscuous intercourse of the sexes, for promoting domestic felicity, and for securing the maintenance and education of children. Oh, wait a minute. I thought Title I was supposed to provide the food for my kids. That's interesting, isn't it? Where did we get to the place where we thought the school was supposed to feed our kids? Where do we get the idea that it's someone else's responsibility to train our children? It's interesting. Noah, I went to Noah Webster Elementary School when I was in fourth grade. His house was right across the street from the school. Noah Webster had a different view of the school than we do now. He had a different view of marriage than we do now. He had a different view of the home. And in his definition, he had a bunch of scripture that was there. It's very interesting. This quote that I'm going to read you, this book was brought to me this morning. One of our teachers is uh, working on her master's degree. And so to get her master's, she has to read this book, Communication Between Cultures. It was published in 2013. Communication Between Cultures. And so I want you to see, she, ha- she tried to change the course, but she, to get, she has to have this course and read this book to be able to teach. I want you to see what this book says. Direct quote from the book. A family is any sexually expressive or parent. Okay, some of you grammarians here. What in blue blazes does that mean? Any sexual expressive or parent-child or other kin relationship in which people usually related by ancestry, marriage, or adoption. Number one, form an economic unit and care for any young. Consider their identity to be significantly attached to the group. Commit to maintaining that group over time. Is that a little bit different definition than Webster's? This is complete nonsense. You know what it is? It's babble. Page 67, while there are many reasons families have been altered in recent years, the major catalyst for many of the worldwide shifts in family structure can be found in globalization. Globalization is the critical driving force that is fundamentally restructuring the social order around the world. And families are at the center of this change. In every society, traditional notions about family life, work, identity, and the relationships of individuals and groups to one another are being transformed due to globalizing forces. I want to read you what this book says about gender roles. It's really going to help you to understand it. So this is under a heading, Gender Roles. One of the most important family patterns is the teaching of accepted gender roles. As Wood notes, quote, families, particularly parents and step-parents, are a primary influence of gender identity. Do you see that? We influence gender identity. I thought these people believed in science. 
So you, do we have any deer hunters here? Do you have any deer hunters? Do you kill a doe and say it's a buck? Have you ever tried to milk a bull? I don't recommend it. But you just decided that was a bull. You just decided that was a buck. The mommy doe and the daddy buck, they identified that role for that. That that buck, the only reason he has those antlers is because daddy told him he was a buck. The learning of acceptable gender roles begins as soon as the announcement is made proclaiming that a newborn is a boy or a girl. So did the parents decide what it was or did they see what it was? The infant is given a gender-appropriate name, dressed in properly designed or colored clothing, and spoken to in gender-appropriate language. The task of teaching what is appropriate language and behavior falls on the family regardless of the culture. As this next section will reveal, in different cultures, boys and girls grow up with very distinct gender identities. Right, so if you grow up in a Muslim nation, if you're a boy, you can be raped because you're allowed to be the tool of the man. These differences... So let me, let me read this. The task of teaching what is appropriate language and behavior falls on the family regardless of the culture. As this next section will reveal, in different cultures, boys and girls grow up with very, di- with very distinct gender identities. These differences are more influenced by culture than biology. Tischler underscores this important idea when he writes... Most sociologists believe that the way people are socialized has a greater effect on their gender identities than do biological factors. Cross-cultural and historical research offer support for this view, revealing that different societies allocate different tasks and duties to men and women, and that males and females have culturally defined views of themselves and of one another. So that is that we assign, we assign gender No, we assign roles based on gender. The men go and do the fighting because they're stronger. Well, I know a girl that, you know, Ronda Rousey could beat you up. Great. Why doesn't she go fight in the men's division then? Why? Because she would lose. Was she less of a person? No, she's less of a fighter. Why? Because she's a woman. But she can do things that men can't do. Why? Because she's a woman. It's fascinating, isn't it? So what is happening with our return to Babel? Our teachers have to read Babel like this. 
It's just complete confusion. Many of these sentences are not even complete thoughts. And what is the purpose of that? Man, we, one of these days I might do one on art and, and show the progress of deconstructionism in art. When you look at a painting and you're looking at this, Oh, that's, that's one of the most brilliant artists in the world. Isn't it beautiful? Someone said that modern art is the product of the untalented sold by the unscrupulous to the unknowing. It, it is a, Now, i got to tell you, there are certain colors that look nice together and you throw a bunch of blotches of color and sometimes it ends up looking nice, right? But don't call it talent. It's very interesting. But see, that deconstructing of music, that deconstructing of art, the deconstructing of literature, the deconstructing of poetry, the, the deconstructing of the home and the language and our understanding of how to interact with each other, the deconstruction of even gender roles in society, it's all to bring us all together in this amalgamous one. So that, so that, with all cultural, religious, geographical uh, uh, norms removed, now the ultimate deceiver and liar can rule. And the sad thing is how many Christians are influenced by this thinking. You see, next week I'm going to be speaking on education. We need you teachers to get as many teachers here as possible to hear it. I will encourage them and help them. I got to tell you, one of the big issues, and, and I did not do well with this at the beginning. Our teachers here have helped me. When we teach on education, the teachers feel like they're being attacked. And the teachers are attacked a lot, right? They really are. That's not what we're doing. The way the teachers are taught has to be attacked. It, they, we must inform them what's going on. Now, I want to finish this in Ephesians chapter 5. Let's start reading in verse 1. <clears throat> what's the answer to all of this? Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. Now, I could stop there, but I'm not. And walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Now, remember, don't, don't be confused by that. When you get saved, you get the new nature, the new man. And so, 
If you were one of these and you got saved, you can go to heaven. Amen? Isn't that awesome? And you might still have these struggles in your life. But before God, He doesn't see that. He sees Christ. What He's saying is, if you are saved, don't do these behaviors. We need to begin living as we will be in heaven. That's the idea. Be, look at verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Listen, if a man has a relationship with a man, he's going to get sick. It's biology. God built it into the program. It's very clear. It's very clear. And if you have any questions about that, get my message on um, how to answer the gay marriage question at school. We identify that with evidence. Be not, therefore, partakers with them. So look at what this is saying. As a saved person, you can receive the, the judgment of God in this life that He's built into the universe. So if you're a Christian and you become a socialist, you'll lose your property. Does that make sense? Okay. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest or made evident, made clear, made plain by the light. For for whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Have you ever seen a lady that put her makeup on in the dark? Or some that just look like they did? It's interesting, isn't it? The light shows the problem. I had a friend one time, he came out with two different shoes on. He got dressed in the dark. The light revealed it. See then that you walk circumspectly. That's knowing... Oh, look at verse uh, 14. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest. Do you know what we need the church to do? Wake up. But know what influences are happening in your government, in your church, and in your home. Wake up. And arise from the dead. <laughs> and Christ shall give thee light. See then that ye walk circumspectly. That's looking around yourself, the circumference. Not as fools, but as wise. Redeeming the time because the days are great. <laughs> Evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. I wonder, living in this culture, we can look around and, man, we can get so angry and bitter. How does that fit with being thankful and singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord? See, what we need to do is if we start with the Lord in the day, then we'll see the world through His eyes. But if we start our day in the world, then we'll see God through the world's eyes. And then we're, we're just angry. Verse 20, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. 
For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, I thought the church was subject unto the whims of the culture. I just read an article by a gay atheist. He writes for the London Times, and he couldn't believe that the, that the head bishop of the Church of Ireland had acquiesced on gay marriage. He said, what are you doing? I thought you actually believed what you said. Very interesting. You ought to get the article. The Bible says that Christ is the head of the church. He's the Savior of the body. Verse 24, Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, there's an assumption there. Do you see that? Do you see the assumption? As the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it that He might sanctify and cleanse it by the washing of water by the Word, that He might present it to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that, would, but that it would, should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Let me just say this very clearly. Men in our culture are not godly men. And so they don't love their wives properly. Ladies in our culture are not godly ladies. And so they don't love and submit to their husbands properly. We have women who say, I cannot submit to him. And we have men who say, I can't love her when if we would have the godly attitudes and we're the godly people that we ought to be, we begin by submitting one to another. The man would assume his proper role as the husband and the woman will assume her proper role as the wife. And then there's joy and there's peace and there's fulfillment as God said we're supposed to be. And then the church is what it's supposed to be. Verse 29, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord, the church. For we are members of His body, of His flesh, and of His bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his husband. What's it say? Wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery. I want you to think about something. What's the difference between a problem and a mystery? What's the difference between a problem? Going to Mars is a problem. Falling in love is a mystery. It's very interesting. A mystery is something that you cannot know unless it's revealed of God. And what Jesus is telling us here is that the relationship between the husband, the wife, and Jesus Christ in the church, it's a great mystery because we're intertwined. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Now, if every man loved his wife the way Christ loved the church, and every wife reverenced her husband, do you know what would happen? We would restore the foundation of the home. If we had citizens that understood private property and maintained their own private property 
and maintain their own personal finances in the way that God would have them to do, we could restore the foundation of our economy. Amen? We could do it. And if every Christian understood their personal responsibility in the local New Testament church, do you realize how many socialists we have in this room today? you know how many communists we have in this room today? Everyone that doesn't put anything in the offering plate. The heat that's on, the seats that you're sitting in, the building, the property, the maintenance for it, the ministers, you are taking from someone else. Pastor, you are doing so good today. <laughs> now, if you're a guest, we asked you not to put anything here. This is our gift to you. We want you to be here. And we want you to come as long as long as it takes for you to decide if this is the place where God wants you. And we don't want a dime from you. But when you jump in here and you say, this is my church, now it's your responsibility to fund it. It's all the givers are saying amen. When you say this is your church, now it's your responsibility to fund it. Amen. Isn't that interesting? See, this is what happens when the idea of socialism comes down to the chair in the church. See, we're all supposed to pull our own weight. God, now, God did it just right. He did it just right. He doesn't expect us all to give the same amount. He expects us all to sacrifice in the same way. That sounds like our president right there, real short. And he is our way. It's, it's really important that we get this. It's really important. These ideas, we must restore the foundation of government, we must restore the foundation of the home, and we must restore the foundation of the church. The foundation of the church is Christ and the apostles and their doctrine. The people of the church are those who are born again, they've been scripturally baptized and joined in membership together in a specific place. And they agree to carry out that ministry through their time, talent, and treasure. Not the time, talent, and treasure of someone else. It's very important that we actually live what we believe. Amen? That's the biblical foundation of God's three institutions. The home, husband and wife together forever in love before God. Human government all based on private property rights and the government defending those private property rights before God. Then number three, the local New Testament church based on the foundation of Christ and the apostles and every person fulfilling the part that they bring. The Bible describes it as a body, a body. You know, the, the, the hair gets a lot of attention, but it's just not that important. And a bunch of you men said, I always say about Dan New, God knows more about me than He does Dan New. The Bible says He knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. All right, so the, the hair is less important. Listen, the hair is less important than the lungs. Y'all agree with that? What if the lungs aren't there? What if God has made you the heart of the church? but you're not doing what you're supposed to do. And those are about the only body parts I know the names of, or I would list more. You know that little flap, the goozle, that stops stuff from going down the wrong part? you got to have that. Right? 
you might be the goozle. And you're not here and people are choking to death. That's the way the Bible describes us. We all have a part. You don't get technical terms like that everywhere. That we are all a part of this body and we must fulfill our role in it. We can look at the pie in the sky, technocracy and socialism and capitalism, but when it comes to interacting with each other, we need to be biblical. And that is we are supposed to be the people of God doing the work of God in the place that God has called us to do. Let's find our part, right? So here's the deal. Great citizens, godly citizens, godly families, and godly church members. That's what the heart of all of this is. Do you know what the opposite of it is? Babble. Let's get back to being the people that God wants us to be. Thank you, Lord, so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity to preach it. And Lord, I'm so thankful to the people that are here.